we've never seen this before and equating it to our profession starts with um, starting decades ago with polio that there was a need and we jumped in and that's sort of what's that's what's going on now and then specifically um, the clinicians who work with MECSF CFS that I don't know any personally like in person, but who have been reaching out and sort of saying it's different than what we're taught. It's not graded exercise. It's not do a little and push a little and go a little bit more. They've been really good about stressing that to me because that's just in our nature what we do. Regardless of whatever your condition is, we're going to try to progress and progress and see how much we safely can push and making sure I'm understanding that's not necessarily the case with this. Medical error is purported to be the third leading cause of death in the U.S., killing a quarter of a million Americans annually. 23% of Europeans have been affected by medical error. Bad science embeds ME as medical harm globally, making millions missing. But less than 10% of medical errors are reported, because medical error is the secret many healthcare systems and governments work hard to hide. Wrong medication, wrong dose, amputate the wrong limb. I am Scott Simpson, host of Medical Error Interviews, and I talk with patients and families, physicians and advocates about medical error. They share secrets, stories, and most importantly, solutions. Medical Error Interviews is brought to you by my online counseling service, RemediesCounseling.com, a safe space for people affected by medical error, chronic illnesses, and other life matters. A note of caution, some may be distressed or triggered by the medical experiences of guests. Hello, humanity. I'm Scott Simpson, host of Medical Error Interviews. When Daria Aller got sick with mild COVID symptoms in mid-March, she assumed she'd be back to full health in a week or two. Now, over seven months later, Daria, a physical therapist, athletic trainer, runner, and dancer, is still beset with physical symptoms, especially a delayed and dysfunctional response to exercise known as post-exertional malaise. It is the hallmark symptom of another post-viral disease called myalgic encephalomyelitis, or ME-CFS. Daria is also dealing with cognitive symptoms that makes reading and retaining material a challenge. This is known as brain fog and also common in ME-CFS patients. As you'll hear Daria explain, the physical therapist professionals are mostly uninformed about post-exertional malaise. In reality, exercise is contraindicated for post-exertional malaise and people living with ME-CFS. And now this seems to extend to at least some of the long COVID patients emerging from this pandemic. This was not surprising. In fact, it was predictable. As it is well known in the viral research community that a significant proportion of people just never recover from viral infections and they develop ME-CFS. But the medical community, including other health providers like physical therapists, have been mostly ignorant about ME-CFS and this has caused a lot of harm to patients on a global scale. If there is a silver lining in this pandemic, 
It is that people like Daria and the health professions who unfortunately develop long COVID come ME-CFS will now have the lived experience of ME-CFS symptoms and will be able to provide empathic and appropriate care, not the gaslighting and harm ME-CFS patients have endured for decades and many long COVID patients are also experiencing today. You can support the podcast by subscribing on iTunes, Spotify, Podbean, and all of the major podcast platforms. You can also support the podcast by becoming a monthly patron. Premium patrons get access to video versions of the podcast interviews. Simply go to patreon.com slash medical error interviews to become a monthly patron of the podcast. And if you need the support of an experienced counselor for dealing with medical error and or living with complex chronic illnesses, you can book an online video counseling appointment with me through my website at remediescounseling.com. Now, here's my interview with Daria and a word of warning as always that some folks may be triggered by Daria's experiences with the healthcare system. Thanks, Daria. So I always ask the first same question of my guests, which is, where did you grow up and what was your childhood like? Oh, good questions. Um, I grew up in northern New Jersey. Um, so I feel like very typical northern New Jersey experience. I have a large Italian family. <laughs> um, very school focused. I went to Catholic high school, Catholic grammar school, very, very academic focused. Um, and I grew up dancing also, which I still do now. So that was a big part of my life also. Okay. And then where did your career take you? So my, when I was in undergrad, um, I studied athletic training. So I became an athletic trainer and I started working as an athletic trainer at NYU with their sports teams while I was in physical therapy school. And then um, I went on to, I didn't finish, but I was in a PhD program for four years doing youth sport injury epidemiology research. And while I was there, I was also working as an athletic trainer with the intramural sports teams and I was teaching dance classes. And then I moved back to New Jersey, became an outpatient physical therapist, which is what I've been doing now for the past almost six years, um, still dancing. I perform before the pandemic, I was performing regularly <laughs> and I'm also a runner. Oh, wow. So you're uber fit. Was, yes. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah. So past tense. So, yeah. Tell us why you say was. Okay. So I don't know where to start with this, but um, I wasn't able to be tested, but pretty positive. I had COVID. I got sick in the middle of March 16th is when I started to feel sick. And being in North Jersey, everybody knows, you know, that was a large hot spot. And I also was working in Northern New Jersey and working in New York City. So I'm sure I was exposed a lot. I know I was definitely exposed to somebody who had it in a dance rehearsal in Manhattan, but outside of that, I don't, I don't know about anybody else. Um, but with all of this, yes, yeah, so this has taken quite a toll on my lungs and my stamina and my endurance where I used, I'm not a fast runner, but I could go forever. <laughs> I could run miles, miles, be in dance rehearsal for hours, not a problem. And my stamina is not there anymore. So I was trying to push, you know, and try to like, oh, if I just push harder, if I work on my fitness the way I would train normally, you know, it might get better, but obviously right. That's not how it works. Can we, can we back up a wee bit? So describe those first few days, weeks, and what your expectations were of the course of COVID at that point. Yeah, so the first day I remember is feeling achy, like some, I was coming down with something, trying not to get nervous because it was already everywhere in the area that I live in. 
I never had a fever. I kept checking because everybody kept asking, but I never had a fever. I didn't have a cough or congestion, but just getting run down. And as that week progresses, started on a Monday, um, I was getting short of breath. Like I would have to just, just sitting doing nothing. Um, I started getting really winded talking, just talking on the phone, just walking around my house. Um, for work, we switched to everything online. So we're doing virtual stretch sessions every day and just going through 10 minutes of taking people through light stretching, it's not hard, and just talking through it, I would get really winded. <laughs> um, so, and that kind of, that lingered um, for a while, actually. Um, and that, in the beginning, that was, that was kind of the gist of it. I was a little tired, but nothing, you know, nothing that really bothered me. It's just very short of breath. My chest would feel very tight. Somebody else explained it to me that she had to make herself take a deep breath. And I said, yes, that's, exa that's exactly what happens. I'd have to as big of a breath as I could take and hold it and then try to slowly breathe out. Okay, so fairly mild on the symptom <laughs> line thing there. So you probably weren't too worried and were expecting the symptoms would just sort of go away pretty soon. Yeah, and you know, that early on, nobody you know, knew. So I figured maybe a week or two, you know, I knew, I knew once I got past the first week, I was a little nervous. I knew, okay, I'm not, it doesn't sound like I'm the route that's gonna end up in the hospital. Um, but I figured, yeah, a couple of weeks and I should be good to go. Maybe, you know, I had mono before, maybe I'd be tired for a little bit, but I didn't think it would be that bad. Oh, so you've had mono before. Can we back up and tell me a wee bit about those experiences? How old were you? The first time I was 22 and I was starting PT school in three weeks. So the timing was great. And I just started working at NYU also. Um, so I was run down the first week, just, you know, knocked me down. I, was, I had a fever, all the, the classic symptoms. And then it took about a year to not get super tired, but it didn't affect me a ton. I was able to go to school full-time in a doctorate program. Um, I was working part-time in the city, commuting a ton, doing all my schoolwork. I'd be tired, but it wasn't something that hardly impacted my life. It just was annoying. And then the second time I was 28 and I had it with cytomegalovirus, which was great, but that actually resolved pretty quickly. I feel like it maybe I'm not even two months and I was tired. It was the end of the semester, um, so it's always, you know, stressful for people, and I had some big dance things going on, but everybody worked with me. We modified. Um, it was, again, it wasn't a huge thing. It was annoying at the time, but it didn't really linger for too long. So it sounds like those two bouts of mono, you were still able to be physically active without any payback. Yeah, I mean, I had to cut back a little bit, but I was able to, to phase back in. Um, I actually counted recently, five months after I mono the first time, I ran 20 miles, no problem. No problem. Yeah, it wasn't a that it was annoying, but it wasn't a huge deal. Right. So that'll be in contrast to what you're experiencing now. Yes. Okay. So the, your symptoms didn't go away. What happened? So it took probably through so mid March, probably through early June, that I still was getting breathing things. They gradually were slowly progressing, but I still get like that tightness or just lung pain. Like my lungs would just hurt. I don't know how else to describe it. Um, and even earlier on, my dad is a retired respiratory therapist, actually, and he used to work at the hospital that was the epicenter in New Jersey, and he said, you can't go see a pulmonologist now, because it was just so bad here that, you know, obviously was not going to be the most urgent person. There were far more serious cases. So I said, okay, I can manage on my own. I'm a physical therapist, so I was trying to see what resources we had available, and most of the information, or all the information at the time, was acute care, people in ICU. So I would listen to the webinars, but nothing applied to what I was going through. So I just said, all right, I'm going to start walking. And I would try to gradually increase the distance and the frequency, but I'm also a stubborn distance runner. So I was trying to 
to push a little bit. I tried to run a couple times early on and it just wasn't great. I just felt like garbage. It wasn't, I didn't crash or anything, but it just wasn't smart. And then um, I felt like I was doing okay with slowly progressing. Through work, we have, um, there's fitness, fitness classes, so I was doing them in the mornings, um, just some like light lifting, plyometric kind of things. On one day, I decided at the end of May, I'm going to run a 15K because my job was hosting a 15K. The course was set out, run it at your own, you know, whenever you could. And it was really hot. I did it. It was hard. I struggled, but it, nothing, you know, too far out of the realm of me just, you know, doing other hard runs in my life. But when it kind of changed, um, and through June too, I was doing okay. I was running and walking and doing 20,000 steps a day. I was very excited about this. Not as fit as I was, but I was moving, so it was okay. And once I got back to work, which required being like physically back to work um, in person, and I'm outside a bunch, I have a decently physically demanding job, um, and it was hot out, and it was humid, and I was walking a lot, and it just, it got very difficult, very, very fast. That's when the fatigue set in. Okay. And so how did that impact your ability to work, socialize? This changed a lot. Um, so I'll back up for a second. Earlier on when I was reading fatigue was a symptom and I said, well, you might have mono. It wasn't like that. It was a little tired, not a huge deal. And said so once I got outside and I was having to walk a lot and talk to a lot of people, meeting a lot of people, new people, trying to remember new information, it was so much. So I would get home and it was only a few hours of work and just be done. Like I would just be done on the couch, could not get up. And I thought maybe because I have early mornings, maybe I'm not used to getting up super early at like 4 15 4 30 um or it's hot outside but previously i love being outside in the heat i love being on the beach i would stay on the beach literally all day this is the thing i've done for years and i just wasn't tolerating it and in my mind i thought it was at least 90 95 degrees outside because i was struggling so bad and i would look at one of my coworkers like why is she fine why isn't she sweating why isn't she struggling and i just said i don't know okay and that just kept going on. So when I would have to be, when I walk outside, this is for work, I would try to find points where I could get inside and just like give myself a minute. Um, sometimes there's air conditioning. There's one place where there's actually like a unit. So I would just kind of be in front of the air and like just kind of recoup. Okay, now I have to go back outside again. And that went on through, at least through mid-August, so probably like a solid six weeks or so. Okay, so your body was not adjusting to the climate and temperature change like it did before. Not at all. And even being in the clinic, it was a little warm because once we actually had heat waves and it was warm inside too. And it just, I was struggling so bad. And anybody who has lived with me or worked with me gets annoyed because I'm usually cold. <laughs> I'm always the one who wants the heat up. And now I'm saying, what is going on? Like, I am not, I'm not tolerating being in a warm environment. I had a mask on, obviously that made it a little bit harder to breathe too, but it was, I would have to get home and recover just from like a normal work day. Wow. So what were you thinking cognitively and how were you feeling emotionally? I, I think I wasn't trying to fully acknowledge what was going on. <laughs> it's being very stubborn. I have a new job and I wanted to do really well. So I'd get home, you know, just kind of, all right, I need a little bit and then get back up again and just keep going, which is my nature as a runner, as a dancer, you just you keep going. And it wasn't until um, some really great people on Twitter reached out, seeing what I was saying and said, you need to stop. <laughs> and I didn't know anything about um, chronic fatigue, myalgic encephalomyelitis. I knew nothing about it. So I didn't see what was going on. And they picked up on it. And that that's when I learned about stopping and resting and pacing. That made a huge difference. 
Okay, so here you are faced with this symptom of a, a disease which has a aerobic limiter on it. And you come from an aerobic background, not only physically, but academically. So how did you integrate this new reality with all of your history and training? This was a challenge. <laughs> So right around the time in mid-August when people started reaching out to me, um, specifically about MECFS, I had gone out. So I once a week with my job, we have a running club and they meet on Saturday mornings and I go. And when we got back, when it was safe with distancing again, I ran, there's a woman I would run with that we were like, we're going at the same pace and she had a program she was running and walking. So it was okay. And I would get home and just be done. But I was like, you know, maybe I'm just out of shape. I'm not used to it yet. And it wasn't every Saturday that I was going, but almost every Saturday, um, starting in June. And then in mid-August, I knew the woman I was running with wasn't going to be there one day. And I said, I'll run by myself. And then being a runner, I was like, nope, want to catch up with the next group, the group I used to run with in the winter. And it was much faster than my little jogs that I had been doing. And I got home and crashed. I could not. So I got home like the middle of the day. I could not get up off the couch until the next afternoon. It was bad. And that's where like real, like maybe what they're saying is correct. <laughs> maybe they have a point um, because this was way worse than just being tired from a run. Um, it was difficult. One, just like you yeah, had to get up and to try to like talk, <laughs> to try to explain to my husband like what was going on, which had happened a few times, but not as severe. It sounds like you're uh, experiencing some brain fog. Yes. Yes, that actually, that happened earlier on too, and I didn't recognize it. So in the spring, um, when most of my, I was focused on the breathing symptoms, I was having to learn new things for my new job, just things with set, um, updating a website, nothing complicated at all. And I was sitting there going, like, why is this so hard? And I'm writing notes down as though I'm in stats class trying to remember how to run things. And I just said, all right, I'm not a website person, maybe that's why. Or in the spring also, I'm in a tap dance company, and we moved everything onto Zoom. And I couldn't like retain the choreography. I wasn't following her and it was at my level. It's not that it was too hard. And I've learned off of videos a million times, whether someone's teaching off a of video, it's live pre-recorded. I've had to watch videos at full speed and figure it out on my own. I've had no problem doing that in the past. And it was just not clicking. And I'm watching everybody else that's getting it saying, I don't know. And I didn't, I didn't know any, I didn't think about it as cognitive symptoms. I didn't know about brain fog. So I just chalked it up to, I don't know, pandemic stress. And then it's been tricky too, as with my job, I'm meeting a lot of new people, having to talk to a lot of people, having to remember a lot of things. So I just started writing everything down. I have a notebook everywhere that I go. And then when I get home, I go over it and just make sure I'm remembering all the things I need to remember. I never used to do checklists. I have a checklist every day <laughs> that I go through and make sure I do all my tasks that need to get done or I forget them. Wow. So this has been a huge shift on so many levels for you. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't. I previously, like when I would look at people who have checklists, I understand it's nice to, you know, look, I did that, but I'm like, I don't need that. I'm fine. Everything is here. And there's no way I would remember everything if I don't write it down. So the uh, experience of exertion and tolerance in MECFS, it's a very sort of unique experience. It's hard for the medical professionals to pick up on. It's sometimes hard for patients to pick on pick up on because it's a delayed and dysfunctional response to exertion. So it's hard to connect those dots because sometimes the delay can be up to 48 hours. Mm -hmm. How was your delayed response? 
That's a really great question. So um, in right after I started to get sick, I bought a Garmin. I have, a, I have two wearables, but for a quick little thing for my job, we're doing something called the PT health study and using Garmin data to see if you could pick up on one thing, pick up on when people are getting sick before they're symptomatic, which they started before the pandemic and now is obviously fitting in with everything else. So before early on, I was just using it as a step counter maybe look at how many hours I slept, but I've tried to look at, it has a stress score that's looking at heart rate variability, trying to look at that and see um, if my stress score is up, even if I feel okay, I'll say, well, maybe I should rest. Maybe something's going on that I'm not feeling, but I can prevent something from happening. And then we have specifically for the study, there's a whole dashboard and really neat stuff with the data, which personally I haven't looked at too much because I'm trying to not be too focused on it and like really perseverate on the data. So I'm just using what's on the app and then be, and also looking at how I feel. Because yeah, sometimes the crashes would come out of nowhere. So what happened? <laughs> I wasn't really doing much of anything. And so what's the time lapse now between exertion and feeling the post-exertional malaise? Usually it's the same day. It's within maybe like three to four hours max. There was a couple weekends ago on Saturdays, I have a ballet class online for an hour. It's an adult class. It's not strenuous or anything at all. And we were focusing on technique. So like my heart rate's not up or anything like that. Um, it's focusing on the right technique for ballet. It was fine. And a few hours later, it just hit me. And I was like, what happened? I didn't do anything today. This is nothing. And then later I was tweeting about it. And people were saying it was the cognitive demand of me focusing on my technique and things that are not easy for me. Like, oh, <laughs> I didn't uh... think it so physical exertion cognitive exertion what about emotional exertion does that bring on symptoms that hasn't been bad i would say like typically i'm a pretty even keel person pretty like calm and i've been trying to just <laughs> not let things get to me so i don't think so i haven't noticed that specifically and how about your gp your doctors the medical care how's that been since you've been going through this I don't have any. <laughs> so early on, like I said, there was, things were bad here, but in the middle of switching jobs and everything, I don't have insurance either, which will be starting January when I can sign up again. So that timing also is really crummy for things. So I've been kind of also, like I said, figuring things out on my own. And luckily I have my, my PT profession, this great community where people have been chiming in and sort of giving their insight from their personal experience, their clinical experience to help. Sorry, has the uh, PT community, so physical therapy community, how have they been responding to the COVID and to your experience? Well, I would say first, like as a whole, it is incredible the information that is coming out. Like I said, in April, there's webinars already on what people are seeing in acute care and all the different things you need to be concerned about. And then as it moves to subacute care and to outpatient where I am, like what do we need to know? So there is, I can't even keep up honestly with everything that is starting to come out and people being very like open and receptive to the information too, knowing that we don't, we've never seen this before and equating it to our profession starts with, um, starting decades ago with polio, that there was a need and we jumped in and that's sort of what's, that's what's going on now. And then specifically um, the clinicians who work with MECSF, CFS that I don't know any personally like in person, but who have been reaching out and sort of saying it's different than what we're taught. It's not graded exercise. It's not do a little and push a little and go a little bit more. They've been really good about stressing that to me because that's just in our nature, what we do, regardless of whatever your condition is, we're going to try to progress and progress and see how much we safely can push and making sure I'm understanding that's not necessarily the case with this. 
Yeah, it is a paradigm shift for this disease. I, I was a triathlete before I got sick. So yeah, I'm totally down with that whole mindset of when it gets harder, you just push harder, train a little bit more, go a little bit farther, exactly like you described. So yeah, having to switch the mindset that less is more. Yeah, that's tricky. That's very tricky. I would say, so yes, you know this, as an endurance athlete, <laughs> we push, you know, it feels crummy, but normally, you know, running or whatever feels crummy sometimes, but you keep going, you get stronger. It's just the way it is. And as a performer, as a dancer, um, it's the show must go on. Things happen. Say a more minor injury. If you keep going, you go costume things, all kinds of crazy things happen and you keep going. When I had mono, I was at a, the second time I was able to perform. So we just modified a couple things just so I didn't risk like falling or anything. Um, I kept going. That's what you do. And this is completely different. <laughs> For people who have known me for a very long time, like my parents, my immediate family, they, they see this as so different than how I typically am. I'm usually, I'm not one to rest. I'm not one to sit down. I'm not one. My husband comments, I'm, I never just sit on the couch previously. I've never just sit and watch a movie. Mm -mm. But now I'm learning. Well, so you're adjusting. And what are you anticipating the future is going to be in terms of your health the next few months, the next few years? I don't even know. <laughs> Earlier on, I was kind of optimistic. Like we had said, you know, maybe it would be shorter. I remember in May, I should have a tweet to another PT saying that, you know, I th I'm trying to approach this now as more chronic than acute as opposed to like, you know, it's just cold or something that'll pass. Earlier, I was trying to have little goals in my head. Just, you know, maybe by this point I could run this far. That's it. Not even trying to do a certain pace, just I could go this far. And I don't know that that's smart right now or practical, like there's a couple races that are going to happen in a few months. And I'm like, in my head, I would love to say I can work back to it, but I don't know if that's a good idea. Or if there's, you know, I have a plan, but my body's saying, no, you need to rest. Um, so I'm not sure. I'm just, I'm trying to just go with the flow of this and just go off of how I'm feeling. I have with dance, I have online classes, which usually aren't pretty intense, but in person, um, I have rehearsal and class on Sundays which are harder. And it's hard for me just on my own to say, no, I need to stop for a second, <laughs> which is silly. I can stop. It's fine. No one's pushing me to do anything, but that's hard when the whole room is going for me to, you know, just, okay, I need to stop. It's okay. Yeah. That's so, some yeah. peer pressure. Yeah. And even that it's, I dance with teenagers, like they don't care. It's fine, <laughs> but it's just, I don't, I don't, I would rather not stop, but on the other end, I would rather not crash so I could keep doing things. I'm trying to find that middle ground. So I can hopefully keep dancing, keep, I, I've only run twice in the past two months, but hopefully build up running again. Uh, okay. So right now you're just going with the flow. You're being very flexible and adaptable, listening to your body as you do as an athlete, but although now you're listening in a, a different way. Yes. Yeah. Bef I look back at what I used to do before and like, I would never be able to keep up with myself. There's no way. <laughs> There's just, there's so much that I was doing and all over the place and working a lot and performing and, and I could push, I'd be tired, but it was fine. And now I'm saying I need to be, pick and choose what's a priority. Work is a priority. I need to make sure I can go to work. I have to make sure I can get up in the morning and then come home. And so I have stuff I have to do from home too, or if I'm in the clinic, I have to make sure I can do that so that I pick this my, my like top priority. And then when I could fill in dance classes maybe going for a walk. <laughs> I'm a little nervous about walking and running now because I don't want to crash again. It's just picking and choosing what is the most important thing to do. Yeah, so that's a big adjustment as well. It also sounds like there's a sense of loss. Yes, yeah. So 
Yes. In so the start of 2020 was huge. Um, there were so many things going on. I just started this. I was phasing out of my old um, outpatient job and coming into this new amazing like dream job that I would have never even thought I would have the opportunity to do. And I had a lot of things going on with dance. I had just done a big solo at this big festival that I, I can't even believe that they accepted me into it. And that kind of gave me a little nudge to say, I could go out and say, oh, I just performed here. And people would know what this festival was. So I was going to more shows, trying to get my name out, had my tap company, we had stuff going on. And then I had just started where I think I got sick was my first rehearsal in Manhattan for a new, for a show. And I hadn't performed in the city in three years. So I was really looking forward to that happening. It's supposed to be in May. We were supposed to move. We were going to build a house. There was so many things that were going on. I know everybody has had losses happen, but there was a lot. And so on top of just the normal pandemic stuff, it was also, and I can't be physically active like I was. I can't dance, which is how we express ourselves. So that's challenging. Um, I can't just go out, go for a run and like clear my head kind of thing either. And even you see all the books behind me. I love to read, but that um, was really challenging. Our running club had started a book club and not a complicated book by any means, just a nice good book to read. And it was really hard for me to get through, but I didn't know then that was brain fog because it was in May and I didn't know. I just thought, I don't know, I'm having trouble reading this book. So I've been, I haven't read a book since then. <laughs> Wow, so you're really in a, a unique situation for a couple of reasons. One, not being without health care is kind of scary. <laughs> the first week was very scary. And then like I said, once it kind of like, all right, I think I'm out of the woods. So not as scary now, but still, yeah, it's interesting. And then the other unique position you're in is your academic and career background is now intersecting with, you know, COVID, long COVID, and these sort of not a new emergence of post-exertional malaise, but a big emergence of it in a new context. And so you you have an extra insight and lived experience that your colleagues won't have. Yes. And... I've talked to some of them about this too. And like I was in positions that I knew nothing about any of this previously. To my knowledge, I had no patients who had ME-CFS at all. Um, and I, I don't even remember learning about it in school, honestly. My only, sounds so silly, my only reference was an episode of The Golden Girls <laughs> where Dorothy had it. And that's, that's literally, that's the only thing that I knew. And I just hadn't looked it up on my own because I had patients who had different things. Um, and I, as I've talked to people about it, I said, you know, if I was just reading about this, I would think people were being dramatic in terms of like the crashing, I would say, okay, fine. Yes, I get it. You're tired. I'm mono. I understand. I wouldn't, I would even be skeptical on understanding what this really is. Um, there was one day I crashed. I was on the couch and my husband was redoing the bathroom that literally is on the other side of the wall of the couch. You just turn around and he's like, come see it. And I'm like, I can't, like I said, text me a photo because I couldn't get up and walk like a few feet to go look at the bathroom. Like that's ridiculous. But I would, again, I, I admit, I would be skeptical. I would say maybe People aren't accustomed to physical exertion. Maybe they weren't athletes before. Maybe they don't know how to push. You know, all these different things that plenty of other clinicians would think the same thing. So now I'm trying to explain this to people, especially those who know me, like, this is real. I'm not being dramatic. I'm not exaggerating. This is very dramatically affected my life. And I'm trying to, like, figure out how to work in a new world now. Yeah, the uh, lived experience that you have is priceless in terms of 
being able to share your knowledge with your colleagues. I've often said that the best doctors are the ones who've experienced chronic illness because then they have that lived experience and you can't get that in med school or any other training. Yeah, we're, you know, I've appreciated that from a, like an orthopedic injury standpoint and as endurance athlete, we've all had injuries. Um, I can always relate to people, um, athletes, patients, whoever about those kinds of things or having to slow down, you know, gradually progress again. But this is a, yeah, a whole other thing where um, I haven't had a patient yet who's going through this, but I feel like I'm ready to talk when that happens <laughs> and hopefully be a resource to people. I've now, when I see um, PTs or athletic trainers, you know, just kind of tweeting that they tested positive, I will DM them if DMs are open and say, you know, hey, just I'm here in case you have any questions or anything. Try not to be too like overbearing because I know it could be overwhelming, but just sort of people have done for me we're seeing like, this could be bad. I haven't, um, there is one PT that he had tweeted something. He's been going through this since March too. And didn't know that long COVID was a thing until I had messaged him. So I sent him some resources and he's been trying to use that information now. Cause if I can keep anybody else from going in this direction, I am more than happy to do that. Wow. So he wasn't even aware that long COVID was a thing. Like he was experiencing all the chronic this, um, fatigue and everything, but didn't know there was a, so many people going through it too. And like, I didn't know there was Facebook support groups until people reached out to me. I maybe stumbled on like a news article and I heard like long hauler, but I didn't realize, no, this is an actual big thing that many, many people are going through. Yeah. And there's so many of us like that. Like I'm happy for Twitter because I don't know that I would have found the information otherwise. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I've seen quite a few media and social media reports about long COVID, but I haven't seen very many politicians or health leaders verbalize that publicly. And that's disconcerting. That is. And I understand for this community that has already existed for so long, how frustrating that is when it's just, you just want to be like acknowledged and like, yes, I understand this is a thing you're going through. Maybe we don't have resources yet or understand it, but at least like knowing someone just sort of like acknowledges it is big. And there, um, this is such a silly story, but somebody, surprisingly, someone's being mean to me on Twitter and was trying to say how many 20 whatever weeks it was at that point, I can't remember. And he had pulled up the CDC's website and put a screenshot that when you're still symptomatic, like you should still be quarantining. I'm like, it's been so, I'm not contagious. But that's the information that was on their website at that time. There was nothing going into long COVID, nothing explaining these symptoms. And even when I see things about quarantining rules, people are at school or whatever, and you wait until symptoms resolve, and I'm like, mine still haven't resolved. <laughs> In April is the first time I saw, like early April, when um, I think it was Mount Sinai, I was looking for people who tested positive for plasma. And they had asked them, the, like the, the little survey thought about how long haven't you had symptoms? I'm like, oh, in a couple of weeks already, I still have symptoms. And that's such a weird thing for me to think like this actually goes away for people. They have it. And then it's better, because there's so many of us who aren't in that boat. Yeah, yeah, it's really hard to get a handle on how many folks really have long COVID. Uh, I, it occurs to me that the long COVID folks are politically invisibilized and medically marginalized. Yeah, it is. This is a weird position to actually be in this myself, not just learning about it as a clinician. It's I hadn't thought of it that way before. You know, we learn about people with all kinds of disabilities and we always want to advocate. And there's all kinds of groups I can mention that, you know, that we help with, but I like, I hadn't stumbled on this before. And I feel like there's just so many of us who are here 
And, and I see everybody's trying to just help each other, put, pulling together their own little studies, trying to collect data on symptoms and things like that, because it's not necessarily being done by um, other people who maybe should be advocating or trying to help or trying to understand or make resources available. Yeah, exactly. Uh, well, we'll let that ring in people's ears. Thanks for sharing your experience. And if folks wanted to connect with you on Twitter or other social media, how could they do that? Twitter is my favorite. So it's on tap physio. So O N T A P P H Y S O. I'm more than happy to tweet at me, DM me. I'm more than happy to connect with people. Awesome. Thanks for doing that. And thanks for sharing your story. And hopefully we'll circle back in six months or a year and catch up with what you're going on. Hopefully, touch wood, you'll be back on the road to doing marathons and running and stuff. Well, thanks to Daria for sharing her experiences of what it's like to live with long COVID. I hope that other folks experiencing long-term COVID symptoms look into getting appropriate health from knowledgeable physical therapists and doctors. Thanks for listening to the podcast. Be kind to yourself. Be kind to others.